see you all tonight. Buzz on the night before the intensive. And uh, I always, uh, the intensive's the highlight of what we do. And uh, I always say that Baba, every time I saw Baba, he would tell me, are you doing intensives? Uh, it's quite boring, actually. <laughs> but finally, because I'm a very good disciple, I worked out that he wanted me to hold intensives. <laughs> the first time he said it, I said, you talking to me? <laughs> the second time he said it, he said, that must mean the opposite of what he's saying. And the third time he said, anyway, eventually I got it. And so to me, uh, those intensives are very, very special. We've had a, a very nice week talking about Shaivism. And I have a couple of quotes, not from Shaivism, but from a, another scripture which I also quoted this week, the Ribu Gita, which is... Uh, a very interesting text that Ramana Maharshi valued highly. So here's a couple of quotes. And before I start, I should say, as Baba always said, which is Hindi, and it means, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would say, the essence of spirituality is to welcome another person with love. And so in that spirit, I want to welcome you to satsang. Uh, and it's a great joy to share satsang with all of you because to me, satsang is a very special event, a connection with the higher power. So welcome. So here's what the Rubu Gita says. He says, <clears throat> one is solely responsible for one's own liberation or bondage since the choice of destroying the restless mind or allowing it to roam at large rests with that one only. And uh, this is both very true and very false at the same time. It's true in the sense is that ultimately we're responsible for our inner state, for our joy and our misery, for our suffering and for our joy. We're responsible, but at early stages of yoga and before yoga, we're at the mercy of forces beyond our control, emotions beyond our control, traumas beyond our control, circumstances beyond our control. We haven't learned how to get a grip on that and to hold the mind in the right place and to uplift ourselves. And so, uh, in a sense, we are responsible for our inner state. And in another sense, it takes a lot of uh, work, a lot of insight to gain control of the inner world. He goes there and says, therefore, one should conquer the restless mind by steady abidance in the pure, thought-free, alert awareness of self only. This is steady abidance. This steady abidance is moksha, is liberation. Steady abidance. I love that phrase because uh, as I've said many times, Baba once said to me, <clears throat> always contemplate I am the self. And they say, abide in the knowledge of self-Brahman, of, of self as pure consciousness. And steady abidance means to hold that position. At the beginning of yoga, we, we connect with it and we hold it and then we lose it. 
and we hold it and we lose it. And finally, we develop the skill of holding on to it and being in it. And so steady abidance is the goal. And it's no joke. It's a very difficult task, but uh, <clears throat> made easy by the help that comes from the guru. Another one. Lord Satguru, this is devotional. The, the writer is praying to his guru. You've taken me across the boundless ocean of samsara in the boat of self-knowledge. All the sages are always floating across the ocean. <laughs> it, uh, I don't know what it is. I, I'd have to study Indian culture because they were terrified of the ocean. And um, it, it, was, it was not considered proper for a, a sage to cross the sea, go to foreign countries. Of course, that mold was broken in the 20th century, so something about it. But they see the ocean as this great uh, ocean of illusion. And so the, the goal of the sage is through the teaching and practices that he gives, carries you across the ocean of samsara. And in that ocean, there's all kinds of dangerous things, like relationships, and disease, and death, and all these kinds of things. <clears throat> he says, to me, floundering in the misery of the belief that I am the body, you've taught me that I am the Brahman self. So the main problem is not uh, you know, financial and uh, physical difficulties, but wrong identification with the limited self, the, the ego self. And because we limit ourselves that way, uh, no, no matter how successful you are as an ego, life will always disappoint you. <laughs> life will always disappoint you. It's impossible to get enough. Think of the most fabulously wealthy, successful, famous, powerful person, and you'll see that, uh, that life will disappoint them. Because as the Buddha said, there's old age, disease, and death, for one thing. And then there's all kinds of smear campaigns and uh, uh, what else is there? Every horrible thing possible. <clears throat> anyway, it's much worse even in the internet life, you know. But uh, <clears throat> so to me, floundering the misery of I am the body, you've taught me that I am Brahman, I am the self. So when you do that, you get connected to something permanent. When you hang on to your ego body, your ego self, then sometimes you get the right praise, sometimes you get blame. Sometimes you have success, sometimes you have failure. Sometimes you have a successful relationship, sometimes you have an unsuccessful relationship. But if you hang on to that which is permanent, it never deviates, you're always there. You've given me the bliss of all-embracing awareness being. I offer you my salutations. So that's the Rebu Gita. So tonight, of course it's a special night, I did a special thing. I, I dipped into my archives and um, I uh, found an article from the Ganeshpuri Ashram magazine called Gurudev Vani, uh, which is the magazine that Amma you created. It began in 1964, and she would collect articles from various devotees talking about their experiences. And there would always be a, a major article by Baba about some topic like mantra repetition or meditation 
or something like that. <clears throat> and uh, so this is from the very first article, 1964 article. And uh, what? Who's Amma? Who's Amma? Amma's Baba's secretary, Baba's premier disciple. And she, uh, uh, she was a mentor to me. And because I was terrified of Baba, I could talk to Amma. <laughs> I adored Baba, but I didn't know how to speak to him. I would go, red, 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 He knew my academic background. He'd look at me with amusement. But Amma I could talk to, and she, she was very helpful. <clears throat> but this is not about Amma. Um, now, uh, who was it? Parmananda, did you find me these? Or uh, Ravi? Parmananda. Parmananda did this research. So this is an article from July of 1964 by a devotee named B.P. Dalal, a Bombay devotee. We used to call them Bombay devotees, not without a soupçon of irony, <laughs> an acerbic soupçon. Because uh, as ashramites, uh, you know, we had a certain attitude. But... Um, <laughs> <clears throat> there was a natural clash. But they used to come out every weekend and they get all of Baba's attention while we just sat around and looked miserable. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, then they would leave. They'd come out in a bus singing and chanting and jumping around in their silk outfits. And, uh, <clears throat> and this, this old B.P. Dalal, I, I'm not sure. I, I knew a few of them, but I didn't know all of them, there were hundreds and hundreds. And I think I know who this was, but I'm not sure. But this was six, seven years before I got there. This is his story. What made me go to Ganeshpuri at all? How did it all start? Questions frequently put to me by intrigued friends. But questions I've not been able to answer satisfactorily to myself or to them. I suppose I should have to answer, I just went. About 10 years ago, I joined a party to go to the Vajrashwari Hot Springs. We spent an enjoyable, if rather hot day, at a local hotel in the compound of which the springs were. Now, Ganeshpuri, the town, is about a couple hours outside of Mumbai. Bombay, we called it then. Um, and it's noted because there are hot springs, blistering hot springs there. And Ganeshpuri is one town, Vajrashwari is a close town, and Akroli is the third town. I think he means Akroli, because Akroli is on the river, and there's a, a strange little hotel which has a hot springs right in the front, uh, and it's got a little temple of Bhagwanit, and you go in there, temple, and there are these guys sitting there soaking in the hot spring, very <laughs> weird. <clears throat> but anyway, so he went there, and we were told that there was a naked fakir in a temple nearby, a queer fellow who said nothing all day, but nevertheless attracted a large number of ignorant admirers, including persons in high places. Of course, this is Bhagwan Nityananda. This is 10 years before 64, so it's in the 50s. Bhagwan died in 1961. So the naked fakir, that's the way he referred to him, fakir is a, a yogi. And uh, Bhagwan was a very strange person. 
just wore a loincloth and didn't say much. <clears throat> we're also told disdainfully that the unsoaped thought that he had exercised miraculous powers. So the, the ignorant classes, the unsoaped, um, they, they had all kinds of uh, miracle stories about Bhagwan. This rather strange picture put us off. And though we passed very near the temple in which he stayed, we did not bother to see who was inside. We had missed no less a personality than Bhagwan Nityananda. I shall regret my lack of curiosity to the end of my days. <laughs> That's the proper sentiment. Imagine that. Bhagwan Nityananda said, pass it by. The unsoaped might be there. <clears throat> Having missed seeing Swami Nityananda, I was to wait 10 years to go back to Ganeshpuri. By then, he had passed away and his fame had already spread all over the country. A friend of mine who was a devotee in Nityananda had sent me some articles, including some of his own, and I returned them to him with a note saying that if half of what was written was true, Swami Nityananda must have been a great man indeed. That's, of course, uh, Bhagavan Nityananda's uh, Murti or statues there. My friend wanted me to meet a certain disciple of Swami Nityananda. Therefore, one evening, when I had nothing else to do, I went with him to a house in Santa Cruz and met Swami Nityananda's disciple, who was Swami Muktananda. So Santa Cruz is a, a, an area of Mumbai. It's actually where the airport is. So it's right in the middle of it. And Baba used to go in uh, once or twice a year and stay at a devotee's house in Bombay and meet people. I have dar uh, satsang and darshan there. And he would do that. So this is one of those. My companion and I were ushered into the presence. I love this description of Baba. It's very lavish, but not untrue. Of a lithe, well-muscled man <laughs> with <laughs> close-cropped hair and a delightful and disarming smile. He spoke with enthusiasm as was not adverse to a leg bull. I noticed he had a handsome bronze face, a marvelously shaped head, was at the same time relaxed and also restless, and walked about with the lithe gait of a panther. So when I met Baba, he was, he was in his 60s, but he was like that. He was so dynamic, it was unbelievable. And he also had both of that. He, he, it was, he was a completely at rest, and yet he was filled with energy and, and motion. Extraordinary. <clears throat> All his expression was concentrated in his eyes. They arrested you immediately. They twinkled with mischief as he said something funny, sparkled with enthusiasm, or opened wide to press a point home. I thought to myself, there's something extraordinary in this man's eyes. On the way home, I remarked to my companion, did you see anything peculiar about the man's eyes? She said, she, she? She said, yes, I was going to ask you the same question. I saw yellow rays of light coming out of his eyes when he talked and looked at us. <laughs> this described exactly what I thought I saw. I thought to myself, what an extraordinary encounter. He was a man full of non-academic wisdom who certainly enjoyed his religion or yoga or whatever he practiced. 
He was no cloistered soul with wan cheeks and sad face and sanctimonious countenance, but a strong personality who deliberately put its impress on you the first meeting. This is a really good description, isn't it? <clears throat> a person who, as, who, who ascetic like the monk he was, was nevertheless no dreamer of empty dreams or, or a spinner of pious improbabilities, but obviously a man of action, masterful, entertaining, simple as a child, and yet shrewd. With Swami Muktananda, I had discussed meditation. I told him some of my own faltering efforts made from out of a book. He listened intently, his eyes missed nothing. Then he laughed heartily. So you got a cracking headache for your pains. He was vastly amused. Oh, what a joke. There was something infectious about this man's childlike simplicity, his good sense, his real sense of piety, his almost boisterous good humor, his life movements. Now that's, there's only two lights in there. You could not help but take to him. I said to myself, here's a jolly fellow and delightfully clever to boot. Interesting, I'd like to get to know him better. I thought of the monk in Chaucer. Have you read your Chaucer? <laughs> the monk in Chaucer was a very worldly monk. Chaucer is, of course, a 15th century English, or maybe earlier than 15th century writer. <clears throat> what did he write? The Canterbury Tales, correct. Which is based on what? What? Pilgrimage. What was it? Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage, right. But what, who's the, uh, the Italian model of it? Boccaccio, the camera. Okay. Just want you to know who's boss here. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> he was no mere wine-bibbling bib or jolly companion. He was an ascetic who, I was to learn later, led a very disciplined life, but nevertheless had an athletic figure, <laughs> looked half his age, was on his feet all the time, and exuded an aura of peace, happiness, good health, scriptural erudition, a loving attention to the welfare all around, and a boundless faith and enthusiasm for Shakti, the mysterious serpent power, as Sir John Woodruff calls it. Everybody in those days read Sir John Woodruff, who was an English judge who wrote extremely unreadable books. <laughs> on, well, he, he became fascinated by Indian spirituality. He was a, a judge in India, <clears throat> and he actually went among uh, the yogis, and he he uh, wrote books, they're quite difficult to read, but one was called The Serpent Power about Kundalini and so on. And even Bobby used to talk about Sir John Woodruff. Uh, <clears throat> of course, talking about Shakti, uh, that great power. Baba told us, come to Ganeshpuri. There is holy ground. Come over and spend the day. You lose nothing by it. Be my guest. We went home that night, discussed Muktananda Swami, or Baba, as he's affectionately called, and forgot all about it. <laughs> but a nagging thought remained. Baba did invite us to Ganeshpuri 
Why don't we go? We should see what his ashram and holy ground is like. Sometimes in my mind's eye, I could see his panther-like figure curled up in the chair, beckoning me with his finger. Why don't you come? No harm in trying and seeing for yourself. Next part, Ganeshpuri. Should we show? These are photographs of Baba in those days in the ashram as it was in those days. It was much less built up than when I got there. Here is that lithe, panther-like figure. Uh, the ashram just had a few buildings then. And Baba planted the garden scarred next to <clears throat> yeah. Next. Bob himself tended and planted those gardens. The gardens were very much more elaborate by my my time. We have another? Okay. There he is uh, with a group of devotees. You see the white haired man there? That's Babu Shetty, who was one of my Mentors in the ashram. Yeah, God. Oh, yeah. There's Babu Shetty on the left. Bob is in the middle. And standing to the left is uh, Babu Rao, who was played the harmonium in the ashram in my day, a few years later. So, is that it? Nice, huh? So that's the ashram, the early ashram. Ganeshpuri. One day on impulse, I said to my friend, let's go to Ganeshpuri. We could go to Juhu and swim, but let's do something different today, because Juhu's a fancy beach uh, section. A lot of the Bollywood stars live in Juhu area, and you go there and you swim in the ocean. <clears throat> we had hardly decided when we were off in the car. A dreadful journey. It was just after the monsoon. The roads were full of pits. We rattled and clattered off to Bhuwandi. Bhuwandi is a big city town, not too far from the ashram. And um, uh, they've got a highway, a big highway, and so don't worry about the pits. Uh, <clears throat> we went to Bhuwandi, remembered to turn off at the crossroad. Then we saw Ganeshpuri in the distance. We were glad we came, peaceful rural atmosphere. Several cheerful faces welcomed us, though we hadn't said anything about coming. There was Baba curled up in a similar chair. <laughs> and all, thank God he didn't disturb him again. And all his flocks squatting around him on the floor. The sort of scene which was common, perhaps, in the ancient Roman household, <clears throat> with the father of the family seated in great state in the center, and all his doting family around him. We were immediately welcomed, given a wash and a brush up, and then a cup of tea, and taken round. <clears throat> he had guessed at our first meeting, I had guessed, that it was a man of action, this ascetic in a simple yellow cloth. I now had the evidence. Everywhere the place showed shrewd planning and solid con construction with an eye to beauty. I have since heard said by other sadhus uh, who have, who have in their wanderings been in all the more important ashrams, that the Ganeshpuri ashram, when it's completed for pure aesthetic beauty, 
It's setting snug in a small hillock surrounded by forests. Its lovely gardens and crisp, healthy air will be hard to beat. We were impressed. Of course, the ashram I knew was one of the most, the most beautiful ashrams that I saw. I saw many ashrams in India. Extraordinary place. Many, many acres, gardens, and uh, <clears throat> we learned with astonishment that without asking for a penny from anyone, by happy voluntary effort, all this was achieved. Their future plans were ambitious, but not impractical. The whole place was redolent with a rural charm, a happy place, and above all, the mysterious vibration of Bhagwan Nityananda and his disciples had lived and done tapasya practice in and around Ganeshpuri. The place undoubtedly had atmosphere. <clears throat> it has tremendous shakti, spiritual energy. One thing in particular we noticed, and on question, others found they had a similar feeling that here the mind ceases to work. All the problems that weigh on the mind and in some cases drive people to come here for solace are either minimized or just disappear. Again, a strange drowsiness gets hold of you, sometimes all day, and gently and imperceptibly as you squat around Baba, you first appear to doze, your thoughts gradually cease, and therefore you're, and before you're aware, you're in meditation. That was my experience around Baba too, that I would sit there and I'd be going, and I'd try to stay out of meditation because it wasn't good to get fall into meditation in his presence, but it was a struggle. <clears throat> As Baba explains, here in Ganeshpuri, meditation is automatically induced. No concentration, no particular japa mantra, no training at any special effect, all is natural. I pass on my shakti to you, I awaken the kundalini. Then automatically the power grows. It is the Devi shakti and the Guru Kripa, the Guru's grace and the, the shakti, the energy of the goddess. Therefore, no effort is required. Indeed, effort may mar the process, <clears throat> and there is no danger. The shakti knows how much uh, to give you at a time, at any time, and controls your development. Of course, that's overstating it. You do have to make some effort. You have to make some effort to be in tune with the shakti, for one thing. This then, in short, the novel is the novel Upadesh of this strange sadhu, his novel teaching. One is immediately reminded of Ramana Maharshi, who says, Duatma Vichara, have the question, who am I? And you, and you can't even do this. And if you can't do this, Ramana would say, then surrender, and I will strike down your ego. Either do who am I, inquire, find out who you are, and if you can't do that, then Surrender, and everything will happen. Why did I get intense headaches and feel tired to exhaustion after my previous unguided efforts? Because I was trying too hard. Without grace, all effort is futile. In Baba's usual manner of adding point to an argument or a proposition by an apt quotation in Hindi, he chants. <clears throat> but I should say that my experience was the same. I did... Uh, a Vipassana course in Bombay, uh, and it was, it was like pushing a rock up a hill, 
uh, although I did have breakthroughs. And then when I got to Gadeshpur, man, I could meditate like a king in one second without any effort. It was very strange. <clears throat> uh, he, Baba quoted, few knew, know the skill of freeing themselves from bondage. Not everyone can swim across the vast ocean of existence and merge easily in Brahman, the absolute. All effort without guru's grace is futile. Ranganath, who's the poet, Ranganath, searching within himself says, by guru's grace, I've merged myself into myself, my small self into my large self. Now the writer says, surely I said to myself, here is a yoga without tears, development without effort. It sounds unbelievable. And it is. <laughs> and yet on my second visit, some months later, I find myself passing naturally from a relaxed state into drowsiness. The slowing down, then stoppage of the mind, and finally without knowing it, naturally and imperceptibly, I'm in deep meditation. But that's not all. There's more. That's what he says. <clears throat> There's a special meditation room where we are told Baba's done tapasya for over 12 years. We used to have a veranda where we sit around on the outside. It's inside, but it was around a hallway on the outside. We'd meditate there. And then there was a room inside the veranda in the central part, which was under lock and key. And that was where Baba had lived originally. Um, and, but he lived in a, just behind now, not in that same place. <clears throat> so he says, um, this is the room he's talking about. And to complete the story, that room is where his samadhi shrine is. So that room's in plain view now. It's where he's buried under that, right? Right there under that, what do you call it? Plinth. What? Marble. Marble, yeah. <clears throat> he says, uh, here then is the sanctum sanctorum, the holy of holies. Jokingly, he tells you, the world keeps its treasures locked up. I keep this room, this empty room locked up. Here is my treasure. And nothing in it except Shakti. Inside this small room, darkened by closing the doors and windows, there's no furniture but a bed mounted by a huge tiger skin with a photograph of Swami Nityananda at one end. Here Baba had been meditating and doing intense sadhana for 12 long years. We have come to Ganeshpur early this time. It is only a two-hour run from Bombay. I bring a packet of tea for Baba. It's Sunday, the 8th of March, 1964. It is only the third or fourth weekend that I've come. There is still a cold snap in the keen rural air. Come, we'll try your tea, Baba tells me. We sit down on skins outside the meditation room, and Baba makes the tea himself. He politely hands over a strong brew to me and my companion. He sits chatting away as usual, now laughing and joking, now making a, a, a serious point. He asks how we are, whether we're doing our Homework, that means meditating at home. We complain, we try, but progress is slow. He says something encouraging, then casually turning to me, he says, will you go into the meditation room? Uh -huh. <clears throat> I get up and go in. This time he looks at me keenly, as if searching the depths of my soul. He sits on the tiger skin in the bed, 
while someone lights two scented sticks, incense. I sit on the deerskin on the floor. He mutters something about not to be afraid. He leaves and closes the door. I am alone in the meditation room. This is his intensive. <clears throat> I compose myself as usual to meditate, but I cannot concentrate. Try as I may, I let my thoughts stray as advised. I make no effort. I can hear Baba walking about in the garden, busily shouting instructions to persons working in the garden, talking in Hindi to one and Marathi to another, again in Kannada. He spoke all these languages. He wasn't from uh, Maharashtra, where they speak Marathi, but from the south, where they spoke Kannada. Um, and suddenly he shouts loudly from nearby, Kalu, Kalu! <clears throat> which means black. But Kalu is, I think, a dog's name, because we had a Kalu in the ashram when I was there. I don't know if it's the same one. Uh, Kalu, a black dog. He hears him say, Kalu, Kalu. I hear him distinctly. The effect is immediate. I feel a current of power flowing from the bottom of my spine, <clears throat> from the Muladhara chakra, to use the language of Kundalini Yoga, he says. Gradually up, spread into my abdomen, my chest, and soon my whole body tingles with a strange force. What is happening to me? <clears throat> the force surges up in waves. Now I can't contain myself. My breathing is loud and forced. I'm fully awake. I cannot sit still. I get up and walk about the, the narrow room. I feel extraordinary strength. I stretch my arms and flex my muscles. I have an insane impulse to break the wall down with my bare hands. <laughs> this is called vital Shaktipat. I am Samson, ready to shake the pillars and bring the roof down on my enemies. I'm breathing more and more heavily as the mysterious force pours into my body. I have an insane impulse to thump my chest and laugh aloud. For half an hour or more, I pace up and down the narrow room, thumping my chest. And then suddenly, I find myself shouting in triumph, Shiva Hum! Shiva Hum! I am Shiva! Am I going mad? I can no longer stand it. I open the door and slip out into the garden and go to the far side where there's a bronze statue of Nataraj dancing in ecstasy, like that statue there. <clears throat> I stay there for a while, until I'm calmer. It takes almost half an hour. I then come into the big hall where Baba is sitting. People remark the change in my face. My eyes are blazing. My face is flushed. Baba gives me that long, penetrating glance and asks me with a mischievous twinkle in his eye, what happened? <laughs> I tell him. He looks into a small notebook of his and, and says, <clears throat> there, you've received the mantra and recites, beat the drum of Shiva Hum, the mantra of Shiva Hum, within yourself and dispel the delusion of duality. This existence is false. The world is unreal. Abandon it, you will merge in the truth. <clears throat> Learn this now rather than an endless rebirth. Get that wisdom now. Treasure this truth in your heart. These words of the Satguru are immutable. Take them to heart, and you will not wander in vain from door to door. It's an old famous poem. Baba was very fond of it. Baba assures me that mine is a normal experience, and to think about it no more. <laughs> <laughs>
This, then, is my experience in Ganeshpur. In the few short weeks I visited, what does the future hold? As for the ashram, I have no doubt that under Baba's ministering hand, it will expand and prosper and attract people not only from various parts of our own country, but also from abroad. Already some Americans have come and stayed and want to come back. As for me, who can tell? Everything is in the lap of the gods. How's that? Telling story. You like that? Ah, nothing like a Shaktipat story. Okay, let's meditate. <clears throat> And let that just be open to that energy. It's the energy of the, the Siddha lineage. Just let your mind become quiet. You don't have to do anything uh, severe. Just turn within. If you've never meditated before, you can use the mantra of our lineage, Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya, which means I bow to the self. Or you can beat the drum of Shiva Hum and say, I am Shiva, I am the self. I am consciousness. I am the pure self. I'm not who I think I am, my personal self. There's something greater, something eternal that is deep within me and that is my true identity. And so let's meditate on that true self for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. And I hope I see very many of you tomorrow at the intensive. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. Clear your noses before meditation.